Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aroni. Today is October 19th, 2022, and the 23rd day of the Hebrew month of Tishrei. This week we're starting a new Torah portion, Brishit. We're starting the Torah from the start. We're starting uh, the story of creation from the beginning. And so it's a very special week. And also this week, we're starting the third season of News from the Torah podcast. So I'm very happy to see you today. And today we're going to talk about something we've been talking about a lot in the previous weeks, and that's the war in Ukraine. But actually, in the past two weeks, the war has taken a turn for the worse. And it is especially relevant in this week's Torah portion. The Torah teaches us that the world was created with 10 utterances of God. And the question is, why didn't God create the world with one utterance? God doesn't need 10 utterances to create the world. He can just do it with one. And our sages teach that that's a lesson for the evildoers of the world to understand that when they destroyed the world, they destroyed a world that was not created with one utterance easily. They destroy a world that God has invested so much energy to create. And I think this is specifically very relevant as we look at Eastern Europe today, as one regime is trying to destroy a country that has been built with so much investment, so much uh, blood, sweat, and tears over the past 30 years, where one bomb or one drone can destroy the infrastructure that is creating electricity or water or heat for many, many thousands and millions of people. And over the past weeks, I keep hearing the same thing from people. What, Ukraine, Russia, they're still at it. This war is still happening. It's not in the news anywhere. Nobody's talking about it. So instead of me talking about it, actually today we have a very special guest. Her name is Olga Kovaleva. She's a journalist from Kiev. And she is going to give you an eyewitness testimony of the things that are happening in Ukraine these days, of Russia trying to destroy Ukrainian electrical power infrastructure with Iranian drones, of Russia um, making sure that Ukrainian people will have no heat, water, or electricity in the coming winter when it's already cold. So you're not going to hear it from me. You're going to hear it from an eyewitness. Uh, Olya, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yes, <clears throat> you're welcome and hello, hello from Ukraine. Uh, first of all, I would like to say that uh, nothing can break our power and break um, our spirit, first of all, because um, I'm, I'm proud to be Ukrainian. Our people, they can do everything we want and everything we can do. But still, uh, you're right that um, last maybe one or even two weeks, 
30 percent of Ukrainian power, Ukrainian's power station have been destroyed by Russian since uh, the 10th of October. And it's terrible and horrible to not to only to listen to, but to see this destruction. But, but uh, it's not only destruction, it's uh, also many deaths. Because we, the Russian attacks our civilian people, our people who just sleep in their beds, and uh, I'm afraid that Russian attacks not on uh, not only our army; they attacks our people who don't want to uh, not to take a part in the war. They just want to live, but they can't live their lives as they live before the 24th of February. Right. I think the worst part of this war is that it really targets civilian population. We've seen this in Bucha, where thousands of people were killed. We've seen that in the city of Izum, where, which was liberated by Ukrainian army, where hundreds of bodies were exhumed to be reburied. And we saw this in Mariupol, where a whole city of hundreds of thousands of people has been destroyed. Tell me, Olya, the bombing of the power station, as you say, 30% of Ukrainian power grid has been brought down in the past few days. How does this affect the everyday life in Ukraine? Uh, well, um, my friend uh, tell me that um, few days ago, she missed her bus stop because she couldn't recognize it in the dark. Uh, and um, while the whole Europe is reducing electricity usage because of increasing costs, increasing costs. We are also doing it, but because sometimes there is nothing to reduce left. Uh, so there is no electricity, you're saying? Yes. Uh, and, what, and what are the prospects for the winter? It's already cold in Kiev. What's the weather like today? Uh, today, I don't remember for sure, but no, today is um, quite warm, 13 degrees. 15 degrees, okay. But what's going to happen with the winter approaching and Ukrainian winter can get quite severe? Uh, well, I, I can't even imagine one, what we will do in winter, but I should say that our government uh, try to do everything to um, save us, to save us as it's possible. And um, people buy some uh, special products to uh I don't know how to explain it to make uh, warmer in their uh, to, to make warmer in their uh, houses because there are some uh, special products and he, he he can heat ourselves uh, as it's possible. Sometimes uh, people even uh, buy candles to heat to heat water. You know that uh, in uh, um, deoccupied territory there is uh, no electricity. And uh, no warm, nothing, no, no water. Uh, that's why I, I've heard one story when uh, people heat um, under the candle uh, a little um, glass of water during two hours to uh, make a cup of tea for, uh, for family, for seven people. Wow, two hours to heat water in a candle for a cup of tea for a family of seven people. This is what's happening in Russia-occupied Ukraine. 
Uh, yes, uh, we are talking also about deoccupied territory because it's um, it's hard to um, to do and to is um, restore to restore. Yeah. yeah, to restore everything just in one time because we need more time to restore everything. That's why people uh, have any choice. Right. There, there, there are very large areas of Ukraine that have been freed by Ukrainian army in the recent weeks. And in, even in there, the, the government has to work hard to make sure that the infrastructure is back on. You told me earlier that you have visited front lines of Ukrainian army in recent uh, days. Could you share your experiences there? What, what did you see? What did you hear? What does it look like? Uh, well, I, I should say that I'm quite lucky or God saves me, I don't know for sure, but still um, a day before the start of Russian occupation of our territory, I went to my parents. It, it, they live in such a quite safe region for now, just for now. I can say about the future because we don't know what will happen even tomorrow and what happened will happen even today in the evening or something like that. Uh, that's why um, I was there. I, I just want to visit my parents for two days. But the next day, uh, after I arrived, arrived to them, uh, the, the war is, was started. That's why I was staying there for three months. And uh, um, I, back, I, I, I was back to Kiev in, uh, I don't remember, but it was the end of May. That's why um, Kiev was also quite safe region for that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, a few days ago, I went to yesterday. Uh, I went to Borotanka, Hastomel, and uh, Moshun. This is the Kiev region. This is uh, quite small, uh, but very beautiful before the war region. Uh, the villages is near Kiev for, uh, I don't remember for sure, but I know that Mashun is uh, in five kilometers uh, to Kiev, to administrative, okay. uh, to Kiev. And what, what I saw there, it was horrible because uh, destroyed, destroyed everything, destroyed houses, burnt cars and uh, everywhere is um, you know like um, we have Chernobyl in our country everyone knows this story and it looked like Chernobyl oh wow but yeah to remember to remember people who to remind people who don't remember Chernobyl was a nuclear um, mishap that happened uh, at a nuclear plant in Ukraine in uh, 1986 and which really left um, a zone where people are not allowed to go in and complete destruction. So you're saying that some of the places that Russians held in Ukraine really look like Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's hard to to see this, but I think uh, it's harder to live with it because I um, yesterday I met many people who lives during uh, lived during. Um, all the occupation there in their homes because uh, they said we can't left our home we don't want to stay we, we want to stay we don't want to leave our homes but uh, one man said that he um, moved 
to their to his uh, son uh, to Kiev for one uh, week, and then he goes uh, for I, I don't I don't remember for sure, but I think it's he just go himself thirty kilometers to his they his home, and uh, his home was under occupation. For, for that moment, but he, but he wanted to see their home and he wanted to stay there. That's why our people are heroes. Just yeah, to. I mean, I, just to translate for those who don't know what kilometers are, people, our listeners in America, uh, that's 20 miles. Somebody walked 20 miles in an occupied zone to get back to his home. You know, when, when the war started and the first... Um, uh, refugees are coming to Israel. I spent a week in a hotel for refugees and I met a woman there from Bucha and she told me that Bucha is a, is a place that where Russians have really killed people on the streets and and she told me that they left from under the occupation and you're using this word occupation too and just the word occupation for me brought up you know the memories of learning about the Nazi occupation in Europe and Russia. And just that word was so associative and, and, and horrible. And um, unfortunately, there are a lot of crimes against humanity that are happening, you know, that happened and are happening in many of the regions of Ukraine. Um, we're hearing today that the Ukrainian start, army started the, um, the attack on Kherson. Kherson is an important Southern city that Russians have held and now the Ukrainian army is trying to free it. Could you comment on that? Uh, well, maybe uh, I think that Kherson is a very important city, it's a very important part of our uh, future victory. Uh, that's why people encourage this news. People uh, like like and love what our army is doing now. I know that it's uh, very hard because uh, Russian occupants try to do everything. We we do not move on, but uh, our army move on, and our army move on also because our people here in um, safe places in safe cities helps them. They uh, help everything and everywhere because we have um, a lot of volunteers who um, deliver to them. It's like. Mm, Mm, just a moment. It's like a hot point named the um, the front the line of front. Uh, so our volunteers bring to this hot point uh, everything uh, our army needs. Oh and, wow! Yeah, yeah. Our people do not afraid nothing, <laughs> and uh, I think that even sometimes um, there is um, stories about. Russian occupations uh, when Russian soldiers was were afraid of our people. They afraid of um, brave our of our brave of our people. Yeah, I think what's very fortunate for the Ukrainian uh, cause right now is that the morale on the Russian side is very low, and, and many people are not only not equipped to fight in the Russian army, but don't want to fight. And so the fact that their morale is low is, is uh, you know, it's a great advantage for the Ukrainian cause. I wanted to ask you uh, to come back to the recent attacks on, 
on Kiev and other regions of Ukraine with Iranian drones. You know, here in Israel, we've been feeling the heat from Iran for, for years. And there's always talk in the background about the possibility of an Iranian attack. And Iranians developed these drones actually to hit Israel. And now they are sort of rechanneling the same drones to Russia to hit Ukraine. So could you describe what it is like to, to have a drone attack on your city? It's, it's uh, a new kind of warfare we haven't seen until now. Uh, I, um, I was in Kyiv that day. It was uh, the first attack of drones, these iron drones, um, to the, our capital was it uh, it was on the 10th of october and i remember that morning i woke up and just wanted to make some tea i, I don't remember but uh, then i i heard such a loud such a horrible loud uh, in in the sky i understand that it was uh, it wasn't uh, not a car it wasn't a, any other uh, something something else but it was in in, in the sky and uh, it was my first time when I uh, leave my house because uh, obviously I, I I don't want to to move to the <laughs> uh, metro station down or something like that I'm just staying calm and uh, I believe in our uh, system of um, security our sky that's why i i think it was it, it will be something like um, it was earlier it was it will be everything okay but it wasn't okay uh, it was very very horrible so we pack our documents we take our uh, some money water uh, candles uh, and candies <laughs> my husband uh, uh, said that uh, sweet is very uh, some some sweets some candies is very important in this moment well okay <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and we we just uh, we, we were running to the metro station the metro there station were, is where people go for safety that's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a, mm, the be the best place for us cuz so it's near us we we running we were running just for a maybe five minutes and we we were at this metro station uh there were maybe five thousand of people oh wow, five thousand people uh, i just need to i just need to explain to our listeners that um the metro the subway in russian cities was built by the soviet uh, authorities you know back uh, almost 100 years ago and from the get-go it was uh designed to be um to be a civil um defense system so that people could hide in the subway in the metro in case of rocket attacks on rush soviet cities i'm actually not sure if the metro was ever used until now for civil defense i'm not sure it ever happened maybe in world war ii uh, but today in many cities like kharkov and in kiev people find um, that the metro is the place that they go to for bomb shelters uh, yes, and there, there, there were not only people. There were a um, lot of pets, uh, cats and uh, dogs, and but people uh, were, you know, were very calm. Just, just calm. They uh, just some posted. Uh, I, I, I can see that they posted some on Instagram or texting with somebody or playing some games. 
That's why I should say that uh, since the 24th of February, people, uh, this war uh, makes our people stronger. Uh, yes, they are afraid now also, but um, they don't, uh, don't afraid as much as it was uh, six or even seven months ago. That's why they understand uh, that it is uh, very dangerous and they do everything to save their lives. And I think that they know what to do because uh, at the very beginning, uh, they don't know, didn't know what, what to do, where they can hide, where they can uh, find their safe places. And now they not know everything. They know the, the main instruction, even little chi children, just children, can, can, can do and can explain where they need to go when the tyrant is on the raid. So interesting, you know, in Israel, we we have a, a, at least a mini war almost every year with certain areas of Israel being bombed. And we all have a map which tells us how fast we need to get to uh, a bomb shelter based on where we live, based on the distance from Gaza, from Lebanon. And every single apartment has a bomb shelter because, you know, it's our it's our it's our joy and our sorrow. You know, we, the the situation, the neighborhood we live in forces us to to have that but also we have sort of also developed this resistance and resilience over the years that you know we you know would take it in stride and unfortunately you know the people of ukraine have also had to develop this resilience i just really wish you don't need this infrastructure the way we do for years to come um but it's so interesting a few years ago during one of the wars there was a kindergarten that developed a song for children, the children were, had to hide in the bomb shelter several times a day. And so the kindergarten teacher actually wrote a song for the children to go into the bomb shelter without, you know, without panic and then how to shake off the trauma afterwards. And um, during that war, there were uh, rockets sent on Jerusalem, on Jerusalem as well. My family lives in Jerusalem. So I had to take my little kids into the bomb shelter and every time we would go into the bomb shelter, we would actually sing this song. And now that I think about it, I think maybe I will send it to you. I think maybe it could be useful for the people of Ukraine as well. Uh, you know that our people uh, uh, in the shelter also uh, very often uh, think uh, just maybe some Ukrainian songs, some, uh, and uh, even they uh, like to song hymn of Ukraine. It's like, you know, uh, to calm down, to calm down ourselves, to calm down themselves and everyone who is staying on the shelter. Um, people uh, meet on the shelter, even their new friends. Uh, I know one couple that meet in the shelter. <laughs> now they are married. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why a shelter, it's not only about, uh, we are talking not about the safe place. It's also a place where these people can uh, talk, can find your friends and can can even, um, I don't know, realize something new, something interesting and something important for them. Right, it's the silver lining to this very, very dark cloud. Yes. Okay. Olga, it was very, very interesting to meet you. It was a pleasure and an honor. Is there anything you'd like to add? Anything that our listeners need to hear from you? 
Uh, well, I think that I want to tell that uh, the, the only one thing that the war is uh, the most horrible thing in the world. And uh, I'd like to war stopped as quick as it's possible, not only in our country, but also in your country. Uh, I just want peace in the whole world because people want to just live their lives. So it's uh, people's life is the most impo important thing. And we need to, to save these lives as, I, as we can. You know, since the start of the war, I've met so many people who have left Ukraine. And every time I, I look at them, I think to myself that they have lived for things that most of us have either read in books or seen in horror movies. It's, it's not something you expect to happen in the world in, or in Europe or in the world in 2022. And um, it literally takes us back to the, you know, the dark pages of, of history. And I think, thankfully, many of the people who are listening to us, people who live in the free world have absolutely no idea what a war looks like. And, um, and it just say so. And I very much hope that, you know, God willing, none of my listeners ever have to um, witness a war. Uh, but I think this is why it is so important for us to hear from people like you who witness a war, who see what it is, who see the destruction that it brings. And as you said very pointedly, it all comes back to the value of human life. Unfortunately, and very much unfortunately, um, in Russian society, and this is not a new thing, human life is really not worth a lot. And this is why somebody like Putin can feel comfortable to, to um, sacrifice, I think, something like 65,000 lives of his own people, of his own soldiers, um, for a completely useless war that nobody else needs. And obviously, you know, tens of thousands of lives of, of Ukrainian people as well. So I think it's an important message for us to keep spreading. And I think it's an important responsibility of every single one of us in the free world um, if we don't want the war to come to our front step, to our front door, we need to be mindful of the wars that are happening in other places and support the effort to stop the war and to help the victims of the war. So I hope we will continue to do that. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, Ole. I, I hope you stay safe. I hope that um, the Ukrainian people stay safe and comfortable and that this war leaves your land as soon as possible. Um, and I want to thank all the people who joined us for this uh, first show of our third season. Um, we will continue to talk about news from the Torah and the ethical and moral teachings of Judaism as they enlighten the events in our world. Thank you very much for joining us. Have an amazing weekend, and I will see you next week. Next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio.
Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 